Hello, this is Mike Corbell. Each and every person is a sovereign individual, born with a spark of divinity, with unique and unlimited potential. But every one of us will face unique challenges, obstacles, or roadblocks. There are systems in this world that may be built against our own best interests. Governments use force to coerce and compel us. Sometimes we build systems in our very own head. In each episode, we will look at these systems, these roadblocks, the things that prevent us from reaching our true potential. We will discuss how to break free and regain our sovereignty, how we can become the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. Well, hello everyone, Mike here. When I set out to start my podcast, I had several ideas in my head. I knew I wanted to develop a theme or essential message that would unite several like-minded people together. And if you had a chance to listen to my very first recording, the episode I entitled Zero Zero, then you may have discovered who I am, what my interests are, and what I set out to do. Now, 20 episodes later, I wanted to do a recap of what my message has become. People always ask me what the Invictus Mind means, and honestly, it's hard to explain sometimes. But in essence, it's about finding ourselves. It's about liberty. It's about recognizing the obstacles in our lives and how we overcome them. So here is my attempt to tell a story using only my editing skills. I took little bits and pieces of all my interviews and compiled them together into something that makes sense. If I were to throw a party and invited all these people together and just acted like a fly on a wall, in my mind, this is what that party would sound like. They say 20 episodes in a podcast is a milestone. So rather than just having another interview, this seemed like the fun thing to do. I promise I will have great episodes, great guests, and more important topics on future shows of the Invictus Mind. But for now, enjoy this collage of great thinkers and doers. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It's kind of cool to have a group of people around you. As someone said in one of the, in his the training he did today, it's nice to have a group of people that don't think you're crazy. <laughs> you know, and it's like that that group of people, some of those people have really become some of my closest friends, which is which is really pretty cool. You know, you go from not knowing anybody and having one thing in common, which is a podcast we all listen to, to like, oh yeah, we have a lot in common actually. It's kind of cool. Oh, that's it, a great network. I mean, locally, um, it, you don't find as many you know, people that uh, think in the same way of, you know, self-empowerment and how to be able to do more and learn more and, and frankly, just become the person that you're trying to be. And, uh, you know, it's been 
encouraging and inspiring to find you know people out there who are pursuing these things who are really you know trying to maximize what they do and what they can do and then of course uh you know improve the people around them and the world around them as a result right well here's where i said what well, yes i would fundamentally say that civil society has to be a voluntary act you can't just be born into civil society be told rules and then say you're, you know, that human being will probably just start stretching rules, find out where the gaps are, because th this all seems to be a little too convenient. You know, like just a curious person would be wondering about those gaps. So. Once you volunteer for civil society, the question is, what am I volunteering for? So when you can boil down a legislature to everyone who participates in a decentralized legislature, volunteers to not murder rape or steal it's basic property you know no human harms no property rights realistically every person just like in my business is an individual and we need to treat them like that one solution doesn't fit everyone like some people look at a gun and see it as a scary object that no one should own but then another person same age same background, same ethnicity can look at a gun and be like, that is a object of personal freedom. Mm -hmm. And I just felt that it was such a beautiful realization that we all have different goals. We all have different beliefs and enjoyments. And why should one side be able to restrict the other? It just seemed uh, very counterintuitive to me. And we're always going to be fighting each other for our own personal beliefs without having a firm background and understanding of each individual person's goals and desires. You know, it, it's it's just creates antagonism. You and I could, I'm sure that we could find some things on, on theology to debate. What point is that? You're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change your mind. Uh, so let's focus on building bridges and working together to make the world a better place. We don't always have to be contrary to people. Sometimes we can just let them say what they say and let them be wrong. And we don't have to school them. You know, sometimes it's better if you're at your, your kid's little league game and and somebody's talking about how the pledge is great. Well, maybe that's, you know, maybe it's something you can talk about, but maybe do it from a position of, have you ever considered that maybe it's not what it is? You know, like, like, like it's not what you think it is. Um, instead of taking this hardline position that everybody is just a filthy statist and, you know, it's, it's a matter of perspective, I guess, of, of, of choosing to look at things in a different light and, or just take a different approach, really, a more positive one rather than a negative one. We practice total and complete acceptance of all people in all situations at all times, including ourselves. And we recognize that not everybody is predisposed to this inner optimizing state. In fact, the vast majority, if you look in the world, don't care about it at all. In fact, if we step way back, you can see that the vast majority of people are actually afraid of positive people. They think that the positive person is probably a little too stupid to understand just how dangerous the world is, and therefore they should keep them at a distance. So when we step all the way back, we can actually recognize, oh, there are people who are in a survival state, and then there are people who are committed to this thriving state. And it's okay 
that they're in a survival state. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But human being is evolving and are the stages set for us to stop being so focused on the external environment. I have found the most common thing is people are living life with blinders on that that they they they've got these challenges in life financially and they just they just are, they're living paycheck to paycheck they're they don't pay attention to the details that's that's kind of a that I would say that's a a, a, um, a symptom of this blinder mentality and they just are hoping that somehow some way down the road something's going to change that's going to make it better and whether it's they think they're going to hit the lottery or they think that they're going to which i don't think they think that right most people don't think that but they do think that maybe i'll get a different job or maybe when i finally pay this thing off and and the reality is most of those people if they just paid attention to the details, if they just sat down with someone and started paying attention to those small details, they would they would become financially free over the course of time. You know, when you start thinking about rationalism, who am I? Am I a human being? The, the, the element that enables me to think, to generate thought is reason. So when you start thinking about all this, you start now projecting yourself in long-term things. And that's, and, and, and that's why European nations in the 19th, 18th, and 17th century, they were economically more advanced. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing when people start, because people don't see those things. So many times they've been conditioned from a very young age that they're supposed to get good grades, they're supposed to get a job, they're supposed to get a second job, they're supposed to get a third job, they're supposed to get a credit card, they're supposed to buy a car, they're supposed to buy a house, they're supposed to keep up with the Joneses, they're supposed to, they're supposed to, they're supposed to, because they're conditioned through our society. And in reality, what they've done is become shackled um, to see what the real, the real aspects of what wealth is and what the gift of life is being potentially just the, the gift of time, that first breath of air. And you only get a certain number of them right well you know we spend 15,000 hours in government school <laughs> getting indoctrinated by these people so I mean I, I, I really look at education and educating myself as as, as a, a movement of freedom um, because of other situations within my life I, that the state regulates to an extent, but even if it weren't for the state regulation, I would still involve myself in, which means I'm not being forced to do um, at the point of a gun necessarily, because I would still still make sure these responsibilities are taken care of. I have kind of enslaved myself in a way to um, what my life entails. That's why I don't see success as, a, um, as an obstacle. People don't succeed because they see it as an obstacle. They see it as a problem. They see it as like a mountain that cannot 
they cannot climb. Because all all entrepreneurs are going to face some successes and some and some failures, but you're not really an entrepreneurial failure until you just give up and quit. So uh, I would say to everybody, I'm learning what that's like right now, and certainly you've been at it longer than I. But uh, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Pursue your dreams. And so that that's kind of where I come at it from is that you know the consistency comes internally. But, you know, your why could be anything. And if people are looking to you as an example, then, frankly, you have a level of obligation to fulfill that. I mean, if, if only for yourself. We're driven by the idea that money is a tool and that when we help good people create, in a, create abundance, that they do good things in the world, that they'll help other people. And um, I see too many good people in our society that are spending so much of their life just trying to pay the bills. Uh, if you were to go way back to the 1970s, the average American family was able to sustain uh, a middle class uh, standard of living with one working parent. And one parent could legitimately stay home with the kids if that's what they chose to do. And you look at today because how inflation has crept up, taxation uh, has you know filtered into many many different areas uh, that the bu- the buying power of the United States dollar uh, over the same period of time has slowly been eroded. Um, the average American family almost can't make it without two working parents. It's almost like they don't have a choice anymore to let one parent stay home with the kids. And that's because of this environmental factor that I'm talking about. And so, and it's a slow, it's a slow, silent thing, right? Um, they, they say, you know, if you want to, if you want to boil a frog, right? Don't, don't, don't throw them in a, uh, a hot pot of water. It'll jump right out, right? Slowly increase the temperature and you'll eventually cook that frog to death. And, uh, and that's kind of what's happening with people's finances. The question becomes, are we really a capitalist society? Well, you know, that's a relative question. We're pretty capitalist. And that's why I think we have a great degree of material prosperity in this country, uh, because despite all the things government does to tax and regulate us, we still wake up in the morning and a lot of people go to work and try to get rich and make money. And so that provides all kinds of benefits to you and me as just consumers. Now we know what the most valuable thing is, time. But people sell their time and then they give their life away for minimum wage or $10 an hour. And in fact, they would have much more wealth if they invested it in their family, in their spouse, in something that they love to do, playing with their dog, there could be so much more wealth that comes out of that use of time. Liberty is fine, but you want to, you always want to be trying to accumulate wealth and influence and power. He said, and the reason is wealth is the practical application of liberty. Wealth enables you to have liberty in a way that nothing else does. You have a freedom of movement. You are recession-proof. You are government-proof. If you, you have enough money where when everything goes south, you can leave the country. You have a level of liberty that people cannot comprehend and most people don't have. You know, it's not just a lot of people have turned on Jason's show because he's not talking about the nitty gritty of D.C. politics anymore. But what they don't realize is that that doesn't matter. 
What matters is how ready you are for when everything hits the fan. And most people don't have $1,000 in their bank account. You know, you couldn't leave if you wanted to. If everything, if everything went south, most people would have to stay put and hope for the best. That's not liberty. That's not liberty. That's, that's a, that's, you're trapped. And as long as you're trapped, you're not free. No, I think that's okay, Michael. I think people sometimes talk about different university affiliations. And I think as we look at today's world, what's most important is you've got some secondary education. So whether it's a community college, a four-year university, a master's degree, or a trade skill, I think the world is evolving that any any one of those sets of extra education uh, matters in trying to find a way to, uh, to financial freedom down the road. So, you know, so the, the reason why an ideology exists in the first place is because we can implement it in real life. Otherwise, what's the point to believe in an ideology if you cannot implement it to see if it's going to work or not? Yeah, I, I was going to say uh, the individual is pretty well the basis of all human life. And we need to be able to respect and deliver results towards it. I remember hearing an audio from a from a former Ohio congressman. Now he, he's been out of office for a couple of decades. A guy by the name of Bob McEwen, and um, he talked about how um, spiritual, financial, and political freedom. And when I say political, I mean your ability to associate with who you want. I'm not, you know, don't peg that with just politics. But he talked about how spiritual, financial, and political freedoms are intertwined, and you can't really. He laid out the case how you can't really have one without the other. You know, a lot of people don't really understand that this country was founded on the basis of spiritual freedom, right? That the king in England had founded, you had the the Puritans that were in the parliament, and they literally would bring their Bible to the parliament, and they would, everything the king would say, like they would run it through the scripture, and they were super tight. And then you had the Catholic Church in England that time that was evidently pretty loose, and then... um in a power grab, he, he forms the, the, the Church of England, which didn't have anything to do with him being spiritual. It just had to do with a power grab where he could attack both sides. And um, the, the forefathers and the founders knew this, and that's where the, you get the, the, uh, the idea of the separation of church and state. And just for the record, because people, I see Facebook, people get on Facebook and they argue about it. They don't even know what they're talking about. Uh, separation of church and state is nowhere in any founding document. It, it, it's a very good idea. It's a concept that was written in a letter by Thomas Jefferson, but it is not in a founding document. Okay. And so just, just so everybody understands that I'm know what I'm talking about there. Um, but really the idea of separation in church of state is to protect um, religious freedom for all. Right. So the idea wasn't to keep um, religion out of government per se. The idea was to stop the government from setting up an official religion and making everybody conform to it, if that makes sense to everybody. So that, that's the idea of separation of church and state. And that was really uh, a great documentary that I would encourage people to watch if you want to understand. It, it, goes, it goes back and traces the, the footsteps of the forefathers, so not the founding fathers. We're talking a couple hundred years before the people that would originally settled over here. Um, Kurt Cameron did a documentary called Monumental. And um, the original forefathers actually left a monument. It's out near Plymouth. And this monument is a roadmap to a free society. And I don't know about you, Mike, but I never learned about it in school. There's a lot of psychology, especially 
in the leadership side of what we do, right? Yeah, there's psychology when you're dealing with people, right? Because you're, you're trying to lead people to make a decision. And sometimes people aren't interested in making decisions, even decisions for their own good, right? And they've got the free will to choose to do stupid, right? Everyone's got the right to choose to do stupid, right? So, so I have to find some way to, to at least provide the insight that they themselves can choose. Oh, maybe it's a good idea for me to pay attention to this. Maybe it's a good idea for me to pay attention to that. I've found that, you know, trying to sell somebody something isn't quite the secret to success as helping people learn and inspiring them to come to conclusions themselves. Uh, and I think there's a there's an amount of psychology involved in that, right? No, I, I think that's true. I think leadership in many in many people's eyes takes on a different view. You can read lots of books. In the end, I believe that leadership is the application, the intentional, thoughtful application of a lot of common sense things. One of those being people, right? One of those being intentional. And just doing that better than the person next to you or better than your competitor can be a real differentiator. So I think that's a very good perspective. Thanks for sharing that. I just think, you know, the way the government has always said, don't let any... Um catastrophe go to waste i think we might be getting hyped up where they're going to try to blame the economic problems that everyone has been watching develop for the last 10 12 years now the governments are going to try to craft a narrative where covid19 was the reason this all happened it wasn't government monetary chicanery and bullshit regulatory policy that caused the economic collapse it wasn't that it was the random superbug that shows up right on time it's the cure is worse than than the disease, right? I mean, the the virus. If you want to get into this, I, that's gonna pass. Like, as whatever it is, whatever the truth of it is, it will eventually pass. The economics will be around for a long, long time. The economic fallout um, from the cure that the government is is trying to instate. I think that's gonna be our real problem. And, uh, of course, we're already seeing the power grabs um, go on. So I don't know if this is a dry run for, for an actual power grab for later on. We, we can all read this stuff. We can all learn this stuff uh, if we uh, devote a little bit of a time and attention to it. And that's what the Mises Institute is really all about, which is doing an end run around academia, which is failing us, doing an end run around the professional uh, economists who are failing us and and just bringing information to intelligent inquisitive lay readers wherever they might be and uh, not allowing the so-called uh, professionals to get away with snowing us all because what they've what they've tried to do especially since uh, since the Keynesian revolution of the 1930s is they've they've tried to convince us Mike that that an economy is built on consumption and that all we have to do is stimulate demand and get people to want more stuff and get people to borrow more so they can buy more stuff. And that's how we create a healthy economy. And so most economic policy today in the West is driven by uh, using either fiscal or monetary policy to create demand for stuff. Now, if you Take the time to read some Austrian theory. You'll find out that we already want stuff. We already have unlimited wants and desires. That's not a problem. There's never a problem in human nature to, to make us want more stuff. The problem is how do we pay for it? 
The problem is, are we productive enough as individuals and as a society to justify or to warrant you know, the stuff we've got? And I would argue that today we're not, that we're over-indebted and that a lot of uh, the sense of, illu- of prosperity we've had, especially since 2008, has been an illusion. It's been created by artificially low interest rates and artificially high amounts of credit. In an open market, in an economic uh, evaluation, an economist would say that the free market is the balance of supply and demand along with price fluctuation, right? Um, So that would be the natural developer of equilibrium. However, you brought in the idea of politics, and now we run into a modifier, and that modifier in a political realm can change a capital market. Uh, So I think with that being said, I think we need to be very careful to the power that would be within a political um, administration to be able to manipulate a market even through um, press releases or any other potential tool of a press release, because it can modify a market. You know, anything that we can do to make it more accessible. So other things like um, like what we're doing today is using Skype to communicate, right? We've got a, uh, a gentleman in office that I don't know you know, what his experience is with Skype or Zoom or uh, telecommuting or teleconferencing. Um, but I know as consumers in the and and people working in the business community, we use these things on a on a pretty frequent basis nowadays. So why can't we use these things in the insurance commissioner's office? So if you've got a question or concern, you can literally Zoom or FaceTime with the insurance commissioner's office, and you can talk to a representative face to face and actually have a conversation with somebody. So there's just things like that that are to me are common sense. They make government more efficient. And ultimately, um, if it's more efficient, it'll be cheaper. It looks like I've become the, one of the people for federal, state, and law, uh, federal, state, and local law enforcement who is a watchdog and someone who tries to sound the alarm that um, these people are not. The this is not a good profession. This is not a profession that's there to help you. Um, that I really believe that they are a, a control arm of the politicians, and their name is law enforcement. So politicians who they will admit are corrupt uh, make laws and they go out and and enforce them, even if they're bad laws. And they will admit to you they're bad laws because if you ask, why are you doing this? They will say, well, if you don't like it, vote the politicians out of there. By saying that, they're admitting that they know that that these politicians are bad people and they're making bad laws, but they still – they're not saying I'm not going to do it, that I think these laws are wrong and they're staying in the job. So, um, yeah, my I think the most important things are anti-war and the Federal Reserve. But cl- really, really close to home is, you know, I think you have a better chance of being. Well, I know uh, because statistics say you have a better chance of being killed by your local police officer, officer friendly than you do an Islamic terrorist. But yeah, it seems that a lot of people don't want to accept everything I just said because, you know, 15,000 hours of public school and brainwashing. You know, it's interesting just if you, if you look at the wreckage of U.S. foreign policy uh I mean, you know, since the end of the Cold War, I mean, I'm sure you could go back to the Cold War and it was a wreck then, too. But, you know, if you really just go back to the end of the Cold War and look at the foreign policy and what it has brought us, 
central planning doesn't work any better in foreign policy than it does in economics. Uh, and, and really for the same reasons. We can't fathom the unintended consequences of a given action. So you can look at somebody like Saddam Hussein and say, oh, this is an awful person, and he was, and you know he should be eliminated. And then you eliminate him, and then you create a power vacuum, and the next thing you know, you have ISIS. So you know, it's unintended consequences. It's, it's uh, almost if, – if people would apply economic thinking to things like foreign policy, I think we'd be a lot better off. There's a special operations general saying, yeah, really, the whole thing is just a self-licking ice cream cone. And that is the way to look at our China policy, our Russia policy, our Iran policy, our Al-Qaeda policy, our Yemen, everything. And there are lots of different reasons these things get started. But mostly, they're government programs. And that, of course, includes all the corruption from all the private contractors who have interest in keeping those government programs going as well. And so... It's all just action looking for reason. It's just like in psychology class. They'll tell you attitude follows behavior. It's the same thing here. Self-licking ice cream cone. You do what you do and then you make up reasons why it's a sure it is a good thing you did or else how bad things would be instead. And whether it's the you know housing and urban development trying to abolish poverty or homelessness or whether it's the cops trying to abolish street crime. Or whether it's the CIA trying to keep terrorists at bay, they all have a perverse interest in the opposite. They all need homelessness to continue to solve, need criminals to continue to chase around and lock up and hold over your head. And the CIA, of course, needs terrorists to kill their enemies and to scare the hell out of you, too. So that like in V for Vendetta, I want the people to remember why they need us. And so they make sure there's a funnier version of this. I don't know where it comes from, where they say the knight comes to the king and says, listen, I'm here to offer my services as a knight for your kingdom and I'll protect you from all your enemies in the south. And the king says, but I don't have any enemies in the south. And the knight says, oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> They're coming this way right now. I just went and picked a fight with them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now I got to you better back me or you're going to be in trouble, too. And one of the things that I think is really interesting as a Christian is he talked about the degradation of morals mm -hmm. that occurs during war. And that's exactly what you see when you hear people saying, well, we should just you know, turn Iran into glass. That is a horrible ethical moral position to hold, that you're just going to obliterate people because you don't like their government. And yet we accept this because we become callous to killing and warfare uh, when we are – constantly embroiled in those types of conflicts. So I think you're absolutely right. You know, the, the, war, the wars abroad ultimately do come home uh, in a variety of ways, both in practical um, policies that erode our liberties and in, in terms of our own moral and ethical compasses of society. And I mean, that's all government is. I mean, I, I, the, you ever hear the phrase, we are the government? Walk into a government building and start barking orders. Well, no, you're not. That's not what that means. Then what does it mean? Then tell me what it means. If we are the government, what a stupid thing for people to say. And they say it without thinking. You know, it's just like an NPC, non-player character, just non-playable character. Just like, oh, we're the government. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, police are here to protect us, to protect and serve. Yep, 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 yep. These people, they're, they're unconscious. It just spews out of them unconsciously. You, I mean, you look at 
You even you look at the elections and and you look at how many people don't vote compared to how many people do, and it's always the people that don't vote always outnumber the people that do. Uh, people just don't think that their opinion matters, and that's that's horrible, you know. And it, I I have my problems with democracy, and we can get in that if you want, but but it's not even about that. It's you're supposed to be a free person. You're, you're supposed to be liberty and justice for all, right? Like. Why, why do you feel like what you have to say doesn't matter if, if you have liberty, if you have freedom, if you're able to live your life in, in an autonomous fashion and, and structure your life the way you want, why is it that there's this roadblock that's artificially put in front of you that you suddenly have to overcome? And, you know, so, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. You know, they and a lot of people, a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel that and that was what Trump was elected. Why Trump was elected, you know, a lot of people are really upset about the whole election of Donald Trump, and it's like, well, he was elected because all these people, these 63 million people that voted for him, felt like their voice didn't matter, and they were like giving a big middle finger to you know the donor class and the elites, and they were like, no, I don't care, tear it all down, burn it down, who cares? What what difference does it make to us? You know, and so, yeah, people are very frustrated and there's a lot of um, there's there's this this idea and you'll hear you'll hear it every once in a while. Whenever they were doing the um, impeachment hearings, Alexander Vindman was uh, testifying. And one of the things he said was, well, when I accepted my role in the National Security Council in the Ukraine under D- Donald Trump, it was under the auspice that he wasn't going to change foreign policy in the Ukraine. And so people are like, well, what if we don't like the way foreign policy is going in the Ukraine? What if we don't like that millions of our dollars are, are arming people? I'm an example of somebody who was pro-war that was convinced of peace. Um, so it obviously can happen. Uh, Economic, like I said, economics is hard because you know, the 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 frustrating thing about trying to talk to people about economics is that it is a it's an academic discipline. So it's like I'm not going to have a 10 minute conversation with you and explain engineering, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, that would be that would be absurd. Or or biology, you know, I'm going to teach you biology and you know, on Facebook. Uh, and there's so many concepts of on economics that are are in, in, difficult to grasp. And so, you know, that's a good job for somebody to figure out how to teach economics simply. I always recommend Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. That's a good starting place. Um, but there has to be some curiosity on the other end of the of the spectrum and, and a willingness to do some study and reading. And, um, you know, in, in the world we live in, who has time for that? So uh, I think there's more hurdles in terms of getting people to explore economics because let's be honest most people think economics are uh, boring and uh you know peace is more of a moral ethical kind of position that you can kind of work through differently i don't know I, I think i think both are hard you know once people are indoctrinated into a given worldview it's very difficult especially old people uh, it's very difficult to move us out of our, our ways of thinking. You know, we make fun of boomers. Uh, boomers are like that for a reason. <laughs> you know, they've, yeah. they've been alive a long time. They've had a long time to uh, to solidify their point of view. I mean, with the, with the level of inflation that's happening on a daily basis now, 
everybody's going to have to realize that the dollar is the treadmill that everybody's working for. You don't have to like that standard, but that standard is manipulable and the Federal Reserve is doing it right now. So they're printing away your savings and making. There's no way they're advertising this much inflation and the inflation this year is going to be three percent. There is no way. You know what I'm saying? So everybody has to realize if you're taking United States dollars paycheck, you are going to be working for the Federal Reserve and all of the things that the U.S. dollar supports, which is pretty much the federal government. Because those are the guys who really know, you know, Mises.org. Those are the Austrian school, the pure capitalists without the monetarism, without the inflationism, without the central banking. And they're either for, you know, total free banking and let the market decide or for a serious gold standard. Um, if not 100%, at least with extremely tight restrictions on money creation and for free market interest rates and all that kind of stuff. So if people really want to learn about that, it's Mises.org is where they have all of that stuff. And, you know, I don't know who originally said this, but there's a famous saying, I guess, about it, about monetary inflation and about all of the trouble that it causes and how the real sin of it all is that not one man in 10,000 understands the forces at work against him. And so people are always pointing their fingers and blaming each other, blaming themselves and having such a hard time. And they don't really understand, you know, how it is that the system is rigged, who's rigging it or, or anything. Even if they knew all about it, they wouldn't have any power to do anything about it anyway, it seems like most of the time. In order to get the ends you want, you have to start with a consistent philosophy based on those ends. So that's where a lot of um, a lot of people who call themselves voluntarists are not um, because they they still want to use the political system. And I, I recognize that we we have a political system, right? That's that is true. But I'm aiming for a voluntarist type of society. So I can't I can't plant an apple seed and expect a rose bush. The, the rulers of the major parties have got to understand where all this sentiment is coming from and why people hate each other so much. And it's because of how much power that the government has so that the battle for who controls of it, uh, who has control of it at any given time, even though really it, it tends to matter very little who's actually in power. But feeling like those of the other identity are the ones who are lording it over you becomes intolerable to people. Well, one of the things that I learned is that although economics is extremely important and markets are extremely important, uh, the fact of the matter is that there is a tendency among a lot of libertarians to try to try to uh, make everything in human existence about economics, and that leaves out so much of what actually motivates human activity. Life is so much better. When you're at peace with the political climate, with the future of our nation, with your money, with your health, with your kids, your marriage, your retirement, when you're at peace with all of those things, your ability to navigate and harvest the best from your environment goes way up. I don't want to I don't want to disparage money and finances. I don't want to disparage it and say that it's not important. But it definitely, to me, takes a secondary importance. And the reason it takes a secondary importance, specifics, 
is because of the fact that it is true that the rich, you know, in any society are going to have more freedom. But there is definitely a difference in how to become rich based on what society you're in. You know, a, a, a fascistic, you know, corporatist society to become rich is a lot different than it is in a, you know, truly free market or in a communist society, uh, you know, where everything is government, you know, you're going to, you know, how to become rich is, is a lot different. So to say that, you know, your, your primary study should be how to become rich to make yourself free. I think that's missing the mark because yes, you do want to learn how to, have financial independence. But I think that what's more important is that we build the type of society in which the values of freedom are placed as your primary focus. Oh, absolutely. You, you can't have rights without responsibility. Um, and I think that that gets lost. I mean, it's the same thing about, you know, people wanting respect without giving respect. It's a two-way street. But yeah, it, it, you, you go back to you know, Spider-Man. I mean, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, but <laughs> this is a further insight into my mind. I make weird connections with things, and but that, that's part of what I do. It's uh, I don't think there's anything you can't learn from. Um, you know, even if the lesson is uh, something as simple as "don't do that again." Yeah, and I would say that uh, the the libertarian is generally more moderate. Like, hey, everybody. Let's just figure out how to play well together and stop trying to dominate each other. You know, it, some some strategies work with some people and some don't. So hopefully, I think most of the time, being nice, though, you know, as, as Patrick Swayze, Swayze's character said in Roadhouse, be nice. Like, I think most of the time that works to take the nice approach first. No, I think that's right. There's two things there I heard you say, which I, I'd like to, to bring back as well that I'd emphasize on. Number one, if you want to achieve goals... If you want to go get something accomplished and you have not written it down, it's not real. What will happen is the next thing that comes to you in your mind will be the next, like, like a squirrel chasing the next nut. You'll chase the next thing that's important. But if you write the plan down, you've never had a chance to say when, the, when life gets difficult, I go back to my plan. I can bring it to life. And second part is you mentioned legacy. Every day, whether you want to or not, whether you know it or not, you're creating your own legacy. So the question is, do you want to be thoughtful and intentional about that? Do you know your why and your purpose to really go drive that? Or is it a bit accidental and random? And I, I've chosen to write things down, one of them in the form of a book, but I've also chosen to try to understand my why and be very intentional about living it out and living out my purpose. Well, and yeah, and the sub the, the subhead of my book is Escape the Status Quo, and experience enlightened prosperity now and enlightened prosperity just means that enlightened is really nothing more than the recognition that all is well and prosperity i i refer to it more like the root prosperous which is doing well so you know that all is well and you're doing well and that is bucking the status quo because most people are perturbed by the political environment they feel uh enslaved by their finances and their spiritual process doesn't actually cause them to experience much peace. Yeah, no, I think like entrepreneurs, the thing with entrepreneurship is that you would never see the results right away. Results will start coming after two, sometimes three years. 
being in the move. Oh yeah, it's hard. But once the result comes in, it comes in big. <laughs> it comes in huge. So that's life. And people are impatient. They, they're impatient. They want to see the result right, right away. If they don't see it, becoming discouraged. Well, if you have that attitude, you never win. Never. It's funny because I do love the name. You know, the, the idea of an, an unconquerable mind is just great because I think that's what makes the liberty movement so awesome. You know, whereas other movements believe that we are kind of the product of everything around us. And, you know, if the government doesn't do it for us, we're going to fall apart. And if we don't get help from this person, we're going to fall apart. And, you know, the, the liberty movement is more of a no, we are just the human spirit is unconquerable, period. And we base everything on that. And it's an, it's an amazing belief in people when you believe that human beings as a, you know, as a race are unconquerable. Even the weakest among us has an unconquerable spirit. They may feel defeated. They may be broken, but they're not defeatable. And that's fantastic. Like, what a great way to look at the world. Like, no, you are so strong. You can't be destroyed. You can only destroy yourself. And, oh, it's just, I love it. That's what, that's what drew me to the liberty movement, the individualism. I love that so much. I want to thank the following people for their contributions to the Invictus Mind. I appreciate their friendships, both old and new. If you like this episode, check out theinvictusmind.com, where you can find all this great content, as well as a recommended reading list with the many books that have inspired myself and all these great people. I'll close by saying that the music here is from a band of a friend of mine. The band is called Yourself in the Air, and the song is titled Nerves in Break. Big shout out goes to my brother Jason Corbell, Mr. Gary Knauer, the Financial Ninja, Tommy Selmans, Germinal Van, Mike Meharry, Scott Horton, Vincent Ferrari, Chad Kirkham, Peter Quinones, Dr. Michael Knight, Mark P. Mitchell. Anthony Welty, Jeff Deist, Matthew Ferry, Drew Holmes, Donnie Gebert, and Miss Sherry Voluntary. That's it. Have an awesome day.